This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Violin Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Mugala, and I am so looking forward to do my first interview with you all, and this is going to be amazing. So uh, my guest today is a current student at the Colborne School of Music in Los Angeles, California, and has been featured in From the Top, has performed in Aspen Music Festival, and is the current concertmaster of the American Youth Symphony. Please give me a warm welcome for Galia Kastner. Galia, thanks for being my first ever guest on the Violin Podcast. Thank you. This is really an honor. Thank you. Thank you for um, agreeing to come on. So, Galia, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your your journey through music. Sure. Where to begin? <laughs> uh, Loaded question. Right? Like, where do we begin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, musicians, we all have a, a very unique story and they're all very, uh, you know, personal. Um, so it's always interesting to find where someone comes from, of course. But I started playing the violin when I was four years old. Um, it's actually due to the fact that I couldn't play tennis at the age of three. Um, and the reason why that's significant age three? is really? because age three, age three, I was put in tennis lessons, believe it or not. Um, that was, my mother that was is quite young, I would say. <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's quite young. <laughs> my mom is one of eight children. Um, and all of my cousins, I have about 16, 18 of them on that side of the family. They all can play tennis very, very well, even from a young age, two, three, four. And so my mom, thinking that the genes ran in my family, started me in tennis uh, when I was three years old. <laughs> and uh, surprise, surprise, I could not play tennis. In fact, I couldn't even swing the racket. I would just kind of drop it. Um, every time the ball came my way, I was so afraid of the tennis ball coming. No at me kidding! Oh man, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, it was it was. I mean, I can't say I remember being traumatized because, truthfully, I don't remember. This. this is just all from my mother telling me how disappointed she was. Um, but eventually, the tennis coach just said, "You know, I don't think this is for her. She fears it more than she enjoys it." Oh, man. Wow. So how did that conversation turn out? You probably, you know, mom sat down and you're like, yeah, I don't think you'll have a career in tennis, dear. Right. But actually, I don't think I I don't think I cared because as soon as tennis ended, I, I it's like I didn't notice anything had changed. Um, <laughs> so my mother being very distressed and worried that I was going to be a failure. <laughs> she my grandfather actually came in and said, Hey, you know, I mean, she can't play tennis. That's okay. Why don't you try music violin? You know, my father is, is Russian. Um, and he said, you know, all the, all the great violinists are Russian. So why don't you just try violin? And it was like the missing limb to my body. It was like immediate. I loved it so much. I remember, um, the first few years I was, I got started. I started with 
Betty Hay Kunki, where actually we met uh, many, many, many yes, years ago. Yes, unofficially. Um, we, we unofficially met. That's actually yes. how we know each other. And uh, that's actually how right. I was able to reach out to you because I had that little connection with Betty Hay Kunki. Shout out to the Betty Hay Academy in, um, yes. in the Chicagoland area. And I, of course, hope everyone yes. is well over there. So, yeah, but that's, that's, that's how we are familiar with each other. Right. So, yes, shout out to her. She started me very well. But I started with her and it was just, it was just, I don't even know. It was like something clicked and I was practicing all night long. I remember my mom actually had to come into the kitchen, take the violin from me and put me to bed. I just, it was just something that I loved right away. So from there, uh, I moved to Almeida and Roland Vemos at the age of, I think around eight or nine at the Music Institute of Chicago, uh, where I spent 10 years uh, with them and under their incredible pedagogy and teaching. And for college, I ended up at the Colburn School of Music, as you said before, in Los Angeles. I now study with Robert Lipsitt there. And I got my undergrad degree, I got my bachelor degree there. And I just started my master's degree. I decided to continue um, with Mr. Lipsitt. And you know, in between all that time, I was doing a lot of competing. Uh, I was uh, competing locally, nationally, and internationally. Um, and from those competitions, I did things like from the top, like you mentioned, um, and various other concerts because of these uh, competitions that I had been placing in. But yeah, so that's where I'm at now. Right now, I'm sort of um, in the process of deciding whether you know we should continue the the solo route, um, the chamber route, or the orchestra route. Um, I've kind of been dabbling a lot more in orchestra. Um, as you said, I'm the concert master of the American Youth Symphony now, um, and it's been an incredible honor to be a part of that. Um, and I've learned so much under uh, Maestro Carlos Izcaray. But yeah, so I, I'm kind of looking into that career path now. Uh, we're still in the deciding mode <laughs> at the moment, but it's been good and just working on getting this degree. It's kind of a nerve-wracking feeling with what direction you want to take in music, right? Like you have so many different options. You have chamber music, you have solo, you have orchestral, and sky's the limit pretty much, right? It's just a matter of making right, that decision yeah. and committing to it. And I know for a fact yeah. for me, yeah, I know for a fact for me that, um, you know, all my undergrad, uh, I primarily practice excerpts. Like my, my professor mm. at the Boston Conservatory was like, yeah, you know, I wouldn't typically do etudes with you, but you're going to do orchestral excerpts and that's going to be your etude. Uh, so that's <laughs> what I've been focusing. That's what I focus on for four years. But then, okay. and then there came like a pivot point for me where I'm like, you know what, maybe, um, maybe there isn't, um, not, not there, there isn't a future for me in orchestra because I love the orchestra. I still perform in orchestras, but I don't know if I wanted to make it a full-time thing for me. I, I liked a little bit of everything. I liked, mm -hmm. uh, chamber music and like the, the democratic, you know, um, opportunities in incorporated into chamber music and also like a little bit of uh solo playing like sonatas and um so on and so forth but you know this interview is more about you than it is about me so <laughs> when was that moment where you realized that you're going to be a musician like full-time like when you're committed to going to college and pursuing a, a potential career in music hmm. so this is going to sound a little dramatic, <laughs> but everybody needs a little drama in their life, right? Um, yeah. By the time I was seven years old, um, I had won my very first 
local competition. Um, and I just remember that feeling of, I worked so hard, I learned all this music, and I got a trophy, you know, those little plastic figurine trophies. Oh, the, the very cute ones with like the little treble clef. Yes. I, and it those, has like, I like a little them. gold, yeah, like a little gold, like, you know, pr- like engraved name, like first place. Those. I remember going to the award ceremony, playing the piece that I competed with, and then at the very end, they handed me the trophy. And I just remember that feeling of so like I could it was intense joy. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's probably not the best way to feel <laughs> after competition. But I just remember feeling like, man, I could do this for the rest of my life. You know, this is this is this is what I want. And uh, after that um, competition, you know, we it opened the door to like all these other things I could be doing, you know, like national competitions international competitions i mean the 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 sky was limitless you know i i could have gone any direction um my teacher at the time uh mrs haig had said you know like she has a huge future i think that we should look into you know getting you out there and looking into college early maybe and that was when i started hearing about juilliard and the curtis institute nec you know things like that um and uh, so by the age of seven, I <laughs> had officially told my parents in a very dramatic dinner table uh, discussion um, that I was going to go into music. Yeah, set the scene for us. Set the scene for us. So you're, you're sitting at the <laughs> dinner table. You're probably sitting front and center. I'm like, mom right. and dad. We're probably eating something. Uh, my, you know, my mother is an amazing cook. I know everyone thinks that their mother is an amazing cook, but mine is exceptionally great. Um, and so she probably made something... <laughs> you know, incredible. And we're sitting at the dinner table and I just, you know, I look at my dad and I just go, dad, I'm going to be a violinist. I don't care. I'm going, I'm going to go, I'm going to do music. And, you know, at the time my parents were like, okay, you know, you're seven. That's fine. (laughs) Um, They they weren't taking you really seriously back then, but then little did they know, little did they know that my, my parents were so, so, so supportive, I think from the get go. Um, they, because, you know, when your teacher says like, there's so much potential, you know, there's, there's so much room for you to go and, and you can get so much better. And, and I mean, I myself, you know, was very, very dedicated and I practiced every day for several hours, you know, um, I loved it that much. Of course, you know, there was the occasional day where I needed my mother to kind of push me to practice, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, it was like, love at first sight when I saw that instrument, you know, and when I started to get better, I just wanted to keep getting better. Um, so they were very, very supportive. Uh, right away, they kind of went, all right, well, let's go all in, you know, and, and right away, my focus for my education and my academics was just like, really like violin focused. Um, I did go to normal, like, school, I actually went to a public high school, which I'm very proud of. <laughs> um, I made it through public high school. But you know, I the focus was violin, you know, I took days off of school to really focus on that. And it paid off uh, very clearly. So, um, you know, that's how that's how it really began. (laughs) I think that's, you know, a very, very awesome story. I think everybody has a very unique story. And definitely thank you for sharing that. um, All of that. So now you're a current student at the Colburn School. So you you said you're finished with your undergrad, with your bachelor's, and now you're a current master's student, right? Yes. 
Tell us about a typical day in uh, the life of a Colburn student. Right. Okay. Um, Well, I will say right off the bat that going to college was like everything I had dreamed of. Seriously. (laughs) Like I mentioned, I, I went to public school. And of course, you know, there were all these classes that I needed to take, like science and math and (laughs) all these, you know, extracurriculars that like gym. Um, I was unfortunately forced to take gym for four years. Um, (laughs) And going to Colburn, I finally had the kind of schooling that I wanted and needed. You know, I, in my, in my undergrad degree, I had academic classes three to four days a week in the mornings. So Colburn does this amazing thing where um, especially if you're an undergrad, they put all of your classes in the morning um, so that, you know, by lunchtime, you're done with everything. There are the occasional like lecture classes that are in the afternoon, but that's not as uh, likely. Um, but you get all your academics done in the morning and then you have basically the rest of the day free, unless it's an orchestra week, which would be about one to three thirty um, every day, Monday through Friday, that orchestra week. We don't have that every week. So I think one of the greatest things about Colburn is that you have the freedom to really focus on yourself and your craft, which is something I really appreciated, uh, you know, when you're in a, uh, you know, a public high school or, you know, even in like a university, if you're doing a double degree, for instance, like you're doing music and and med school. Oh, my gosh, I had a friend that did med school and music and uh, she very, very quickly dropped music. (laughs) Right. Oh, yeah, just, you have these you have these various um, various programs around the country, right? You have Columbia and Juilliard, you have Harvard and EC, and you know, I, right. I'm I'm sure that you and I know a handful of uh, colleagues that you know are able to take on that much work, and not everybody can do it. I admit that I applaud anybody who is who who has or who is going through those kinds of programs. So oh, me you know, too. shout yeah. out to them, really. Keep it up, you know, keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, like um, um, I actually hope to have this person on the violin podcast. I know someone who um, went to Harvard for his undergrad, wrote like a, a, a dissertation on, you know, can- like cancer research. And now he, you know, he went to Julia for his master's and doing his DMA over there. So, you know, there, there are wow. people out there that, you know, can do it and who have the opportunity to do that. So, you know, kudos to them. Yes, absolutely. Great. So I actually didn't know that about the Colburn curriculum is that you have classes all morning and then you have the rest of the day for um, for practicing or for rehearsals. Is that um, so you'd say that you have a orchestra cycle like for one week, right? Yeah, about um, we have about like seven, eight concerts a year. So like about every month and a half, we'll have an orchestra week. And usually that entails like we have a rehearsal on the Friday the week before just to kind of read everything with one of our um, new assistant conductors. Uh, We have two new conducting. We have a new conducting program, actually, with Esa Pekasan, and which has been unreal. Um, He conducts us once a year now. Because he just got the job at San Francisco Symphony, right? Yes. And I I can't tell you. He's so inspiring. Um, Probably just. And it's every time we play with Ezepekasalan, it's just an amazing week. That's that's all I have to say. Um, but we do uh, go through the first rehearsal with one of his two conducting students at the Colburn, at, at Colburn, um, and then we have the full week with our guest conductor. 
And usually that's it, it. Orchestra weeks tend to be a lot more sluggish. You notice that students are are kind of a lot more tired that week, you know, because if you take two and a half hours um, out of your day that you're normally practicing for your own stuff and suddenly are, you know, put in orchestra, <laughs> your whole schedule, your whole like week has changed. Um, yeah, your entire schedule has kind of been depleted, you know? Right. Yeah. And and for me personally, my like ideal practice time, the time that I can really focus and really like, really like listen into myself is from one to 4 p.m. <laughs> so usually I practice after lunch. Um, so every time I have orchestra week, I kind of like lose my touch that week. <laughs> I practice like really late or if I, I have to wake up super early or find like nooks of time that that aren't you know lessons or studio classes or rehearsals to practice and I have to tell you that's it's much harder but on the weeks that we don't have orchestra weeks it's a really fantastic schedule it's really just catered to your own um your own work you know and I feel like everybody at Colburn has their own routine that works really well for them and having those classes in the morning is really helpful i have to say unless you're a morning practicer which you know then i don't know but aka i am a morning practicer i am more uh, focused in the morning than i am in any other part of the day so um as, um just as a matter of fact for all you listeners out there this is an afternoon podcast time we're doing so you know <laughs> you know we'll, 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 oh. we'll see if I, yeah we'll see if we can do a, a morning morning time in the future so we'll see maybe <laughs> you can leave leave in the comments section down below see if i'm a if uh if my concentration level has also depleted in the afternoon so uh <laughs> yeah you know what you you bring up many interesting points in terms of balancing your time so I want to, can, um, you know, there are many violinists who are probably going to be listening to this podcast who, you know, are probably on the younger side or even, you know, working professionals like you and I, who mm-hmm. are, you know, kind of struggling to stay, stay focused in, in the practice room. Can you offer any, um, any, any advice for someone who's listening in? Yeah. I mean, let me just start off by saying I completely feel you as somebody who has very little patience and just like no focus ever at any time of the day. Um, I completely relate to you. Um, There are a couple things that I like to do before I practice that have really helped me like focus in. Um, I like to choose a room, you know, that doesn't have anything comfortable in it. And when I say comfortable, I usually try to avoid bedrooms. So things, uh, rooms with beds, Mm. rooms with couches, that I, I noticed that when I am in a room with a really nice couch, I will sit on it and I won't be playing. <laughs> I just want to sit there. Yeah. Um, or if I'm practicing in my bedroom, I'll want to be under the covers instead of standing up and you know doing things. Um, I also recommend turning off any electronic device that you have, unless it's an iPad that you're using music off of. In that case, I either put it on airplane mode or do not disturb. Actually, my iPad is just currently on do not disturb at all times. I've deleted all the messaging apps off of it. I don't, I don't allow any notifications to come through on that. Um, so I have complete focus. That really helps. I've noticed that when people turn off their cell phones, their computers in the practice room, they're forced to just focus on themselves and focus on what they're hearing. 
So yeah, those are my two tips. I wish I had a lot more, but as I said, I have no patience and I lose focus very quickly. So <laughs> no, and I and I appreciate the simplicity of your of your tips because I think uh, people often you know theorize about how to practice and what time of the day to practice and you know different right. practice methods. But if you just really simplify and make it like really a minimalistic practice routine, you know, focus on the basics, then I think you're I think you're set. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's always the whole like, you know, finding what day, what time of the day that you're most productive. And like I said earlier, I am very, very productive from like 1 to 4 p.m. Um, that's when my brain is moving. I've had food in my system. I've had three cups of coffee. I right. know what I'm yeah, going to say. Gonna say I'm do. <laughs> I was just about to say like coffee drinker over here. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think um, what, what you're saying is spot on. I think um, when... I, I want to comment on the room because what you're suggesting yeah. is basically you want to like create a space that will allow you to focus. Right. Will I, allow you to focus, you know, but yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, um, if you have the luxury um, and this is, you know, this is truly a luxury when you're in music school, um, this is not something you have control of. But if you have the luxury, you have your own space, your own apartment, if you can create your own practice room and make it inspiring, don't make it comfortable, like I said, but make it inspiring, you know, put things in it that will like motivate you to want to be better. So for some people, they put pianos in there or a massive bookshelf so with all of the music that they've accumulated throughout the years. Um get yourself nice equipment. If you can get a really nice music stand, get a really nice piano bench, you know, things that will make you that will, first of all, that you'll look at and be like, wow, I spent a lot of money on that. I really need to practice. Um, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and then all, our, and then our wallets, you know, you'll start singing, I'm too scared to right. check my bank account. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know if anybody right. listening has uh, known that meme, but I know that um, where I'm based right now, that meme kind of travels really fast, right. <laughs> especially if you're a college <laughs> student. Right. In, in right, like a major right. metropolitan area, and yeah. I yeah many many good points. I like I like what you said that um if you're kind of like if you're not the hardcore practicer and you don't feel inspired in like a, the driest room on the face of the earth and you can't that right. the one that you can't make a sound then create a space where you can create and be inspired yes. to create um, right. where ideas are flowing and ideas are kind of kind of running through your body and with your and with your instrument i think that's also very important not just for violinists but i guess for you know all instrumentalists when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply Yes, absolutely. And, you know, and that's, you know, of course, if you have the luxury and I, you know, not everybody does. So if you're in college like me, you are usually given a very, very small cubicle space that has very poor sound quality. And it's much harder to find motivation in there. Um, like I said, if you can bring anything with you or find or, you know, even like listen to recordings before going to the practice room just to kind of engage your senses already and, and be inspired. That's really helpful. And, you know, of course, try not to practice past midnight. That can't be helpful for anybody. 
Yeah, I you know I I know I back in college um, in my undergrad and graduate days I I do I did know a few people who were able to like function starting at nine p.m. I don't know who those oh, yeah. I don't know I don't know if those people have changed, but I certainly can't. You know, I just start losing right. focus. But you know, some people are night owls, and that's oh, why yeah. like if you if, like if you get an orchestra career, you're you're set because you know you could be you could be at top of your game because and during during an evening orchestra concert. Like you'll right. be set. Yep, absolutely. Galia, I like to transition into you know we talked about practicing and how to practice in the practice room, and I want to dive into the competitions you have competed in mm-hmm. within the last uh, five or six years um, during your time at Colburn, and even in even in your um, even in your youth. Can you talk about your preparation process for a competition? I know you uh, recently mentioned that you you know you took some days off of. Uh, school, you know, in high school to prepare for competitions that, you know, were really high stakes and high level. Um, What were some of the things that you did to kind of help create that success for you? Okay. Um, All right. So (laughs) this is a very interesting time of my life because by the time that I had gotten to Colburn, I had pretty much decided that I was not going to be competing as much anymore. Um, Hmm. And I'll explain why later, because I want to talk about your question first, because, you know, I actually did do a lot of things uh, to prepare for some of those things. Okay, so I'll focus mostly in my high school years, which is when I did most of my internationals um, and most of my competitions in general. Um, When you're looking into competitions, it is really, really important to be ahead of the game. And what I mean by that is, is if you heard of a competition, let's say like, oh, you've heard of the menu and violin competition, which is a huge one. I recommend looking into that very, very early. And I'm talking like a couple of years early. If you still fall into the category, the age category, um, a couple of years from the current time, that's when I'd say start building that repertoire. The repertoire list will not change that much. The only thing that will change is some of their contemporary requirements, um, maybe some of the like little pieces that they ask for, some of the show pieces they might ask for something very specific. But mostly, I will say that concertos will be around the same they have a concerto list that's even better, they will usually not change. Um, especially if they're standard, like Tchaikovsky, Sibelius, uh, Brahms, um, Beethoven, they will all kind of stay the same. I will, I can 90% sure be sure of that. Um, yeah, unless some, unless a composer writes something brilliant that we all need to perform. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Then, like um, I said, contemporary yeah. stuff, you know, there, there's, that's a huge one these days, uh, which I'll talk about later. But if you can be ahead of the game, do it and watch these competitions if you can. A lot of the competitions post videos of winners or participants from past years. You know, check out the level, the the, the people that are going and, you know, just take it all in. You know, like you might not be quite there, not even just like playing wise or just mentally, you know, doing competitions is such a minefield you know it's I would say honestly it's like it's about like 50% putting in the work really focusing it's 40% mental and it's 10% showing up on time and getting on the stage you know it's 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 a complete battlefield uh for the mind 
But yeah, so just check it out and see what they're looking for. Sometimes like they have a very specific taste or they'll have certain pieces that they really enjoy. Like you'll notice sometimes in competitions, they, you know, they choose specific pieces for for very specific reasons, usually because they want to see a wide range of your skills and your styles. If you can play the Bach, if you can play the Paganini, if you can play your concerto, and if you can play your concerto in front of an orchestra, um, that's what I've noticed. You know, when you get to the finals, a lot of the time when you get to the finals, you will end up playing with an orchestra, um, which is a huge deal, by the way. You know, playing in front of the orchestra is like the ideal thing for musicians you know that's how soloists get out there they play in front of orchestras most of the time recitals have sort of fallen out of the trend um now it's like you know if you get to play with a major orchestra it's a huge deal it's a huge uh career booster so you know if you have the opportunity to practice you know it's is you know, this is going to sound uh, very odd, but if you have the op- opportunity, if there's a local competition near you um, with similar repertoire, or you can pick your repertoire, which is even better, do it. Just put yourself out there. Get yourself comfortable playing in front of three people <laughs> with a notepad in front of them and be prepared for the possibility that something may go wrong and be okay with it and just keep going. Um Man, there's so much I can talk about when it comes to competition. Actually, the the one point, at, like the last point is what I really want to focus on because there are a yeah. lot of people listening in who sometimes feel discouraged by taking a competition saying, oh, I'm not good enough or I'm like, mm-hmm. like, is it is it worth it? Like, it's all rigged. You know, you know like, you know, they're, they're like, these, like, you know, there's these these like crazy ideas, these crazy stories that people develop in their head that yeah. are like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'll do it next year. Right. So mm-hmm. what can you say to someone who is kind of having that, like that musician block per se, mm-hmm. that musician block who kind of like can't break through that wall and, you know, really kind of put themselves out there. I'll just say that if you don't try it, you'll never know. You know, if you don't, Force yourself to pay that application fee, send it in. You're never going to know if you were ready or not. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's really important to just put yourself in the deep end um, and see how it feels because you might, you never know. It turns out you could go on stage and play the best you've ever played in a very anxious situation. I've seen that many times with uh, some of my students and some of my friends. They had no idea that they were going to get on stage and just nail it. You know, that's sometimes that's what nerves can do to you. I guess what I'm trying to say is just put yourself out there, you know, just motivate yourself, send in that application. And all you can do is just try it. Thanks for sharing all that. Now, another stage that we haven't talked about yet is Instagram. Because that's becoming a new yes. stage, a virtual stage for many of us, for many musicians right. across the globe. And you've obviously had a lot of success having over 21,000 Instagram followers. And, you know, and I, what I like about your Instagram, uh, Instagram in general is that you're very personable with your audience. Like you're not afraid to share um, what's on your mind, what you've been working on. You're sharing 
that you're also kind of like a human being too, especially with like the Instagram blooper that you did the other day, you know, <laughs> like that, you know, that stank face, like, oh my God, right? Right. <laughs> so I, I thought that was, I thought that was like kind of like a very human moment where like, okay, someone <laughs> as good as Galia can, um, can obviously, you know, share the same mistakes as any other player right. out there in the world. <laughs> But let's talk for a moment about your about your success on Instagram, and then we'll we'll dive into uh, another topic. But yeah, please please share your thoughts on you know where uh, musicians can find success on Instagram. Okay, well, I will start out by saying you know it's such a, like a weird thing to be on Instagram as a musician right now. I seriously, when I first started posting videos, it was my only intention was to just be more comfortable in front of a camera. I have always feared the recording process. That is just, as soon as I see that red dot on the camera, I just panic. Um, yeah, don't we all? Just, don't we all? Yeah, it's like the thought of like, oh my gosh, this is being recorded forever and it will be on tape and people will know that I'm so terrible at violin. Like <laughs> it was this whole like again, it's a whole battlefield, it's a mind battlefield. Um so the like seriously the only reason why I started posting was to just be very very comfortable being recorded all the time and recording to find the mistakes that I hadn't found in my playing before and things like that, you know, cause recording is such a great tool for musicians to practice with, you know, if you're to find out you're rushing or there was one note that wasn't as good as the others and you didn't vibrate on something, you know, stuff like that. So that was really why I started it. And I didn't even show my whole face. I think when I first started, it was like half my face and like my fingers right in front of the camera. It was kind of, yeah, like if you had like a different handle, like a different username and, you know, people yeah, wouldn't like I, scout you online. Yeah, that, yeah right. that's very clever. I definitely, <laughs> had, uh, I definitely had a different username. I wasn't very comfortable showing my face yet, um, but I was getting some traction uh, a little bit. And then as time went on, I was getting a lot more comfortable with recording and then forcing myself to see myself on camera. I started posting that and then it really took off from there. Instagram is, you know, I, I've been reading a lot about it recently. Um, it's one of the most uh, difficult places to be uh, just because it's a, a place where a lot of bullying happens, a lot of judgment, you know, because Instagram is so accessible now. You don't even need an account to kind of look at everything. Right. Actually, I don't even know if that's true. You can probably take that out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, but, um, I don't I don't disagree with you there. I mean, you can search up anybody's name on, on a Google search and then all your videos, your pictures can just pop up on a Google search. So and right. um, yeah, yeah, there is something to be said about the bullying that mm -hmm. happens um, all around Instagram, which, of course, is definitely not OK definitely not okay to be you know and you know and and for the people who are like criticizing other people's playing just like you know why don't you post up a picture of yourself playing and it's like you know you'll you'll start realizing how difficult it is to kind of put yourself out there which is why I bring up the instagram uh conversation because despite having the twenty one thousand followers you're still you're still an easy person to talk to, right? We, you know, we, we knew each other for a long time, but this is the first time in a long time that we actually conversed and, you know, you're sure, human yeah. just like I am. And, <laughs> you know, for me personally, like for, in terms of Instagram, I only use it for like musical stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I post like um, 
my other podcast, the Everyday Musician Podcast, which, as a matter of fact, you should subscribe to because it's an awesome podcast. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and um, yeah, and it's you know, like it's 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 really difficult to kind of put yourself out there. And I think recently Instagram kind of took away the number of views that each video has or the amount of likes, like oh, the number, right. because. Yeah, and this actually was implemented like around half a year ago, I think. I something yeah, I think something so. around that time. Yeah, yeah. and ago. I think I think it's a brilliant decision because you know you mm-hmm. just you take away the you take away the number, and right. you know all, all you're doing is just trying to absorb good content. You know, you're, it's not a popularity contest anymore. Right. right. I mean, the, I I totally agree with everything you just said, especially about putting yourself out there. You know, um, it's it's a crazy world we live in. It's you know we need more ways as musicians to brand ourselves. You know, we can't all be on the Queen Elizabeth stage as much as we'd all love to. Um, Well, I mean, wouldn't we all? I mean, I I love to be on that Queen Elizabeth side. I like to be on that competition (laughs) stage, but I know that that'll just be a fantasy of mine. (laughs) Well, you know, it's, it's always possible. But, you know, I mean, it's, I started just with the attention of, really just getting rid of my fear of recording and then it just turned into something else it turned into a place where I wanted to share uh, my music with people because I would get all these really really sweet comments and messages from people saying that you know that my videos have inspired them and they encouraged them to pick up the violin again and you know they made their day you know and that just like for me makes me feel like this whole thing is worth it you know and uh, like I said earlier the bullying thing is real I have gotten some very odd comments um but good thing is like doesn't happen too often um don't come at me (laughs) but of course uh it's uh it's okay. Everyone has their own opinion. You know, music is so subjective. And I think that's the one thing that we need to remember as musicians, that everyone is going to have their own opinion about what great violin playing or what great music making is. And I always have to remind myself that in a room full of people, there is at least going to be a few people that didn't enjoy the concert. And you have to be okay with that. And it's that same rule applies to Instagram. I'm sure that I have a a nook of people that, you know, follow me because of whatever reason they have for following me, but they don't love everything I post. And I have to be okay with that. You know, that's just how life is. And I can, I can see it visibly instead of, you know, not knowing if anyone, you know, didn't like it or not, which is fine, you know, because sometimes the comments are actually kind of good criticism you know like hey like I wanted to see you know more of your shoulders because I'm having shoulder issues but you know things like that but but in that but in that case but in that case that's more of like a like a critique it's not like a hey you suck kind of right (laughs) comment right (laughs) it's not I want want that to be very clear for anybody who's watching this video and who's listening to the podcast like it's um very um there's a difference right if there's someone saying oh like you know, I noticed that your your right shoulder is more forward because of your bow angle than it is yeah. on mine. Um, you know, I think I've been doing this piece for a little while, and I, I found that this has worked for me. Right? That's that's like a like a good honest criticism that someone is actually trying to help or sure. um, trying to help yeah. with within the comments section, right? Because it's it's like a, you know it's like a blog, it's like a feed that everybody kind of comments on. Yeah. 
and you know, I've gotten I've gotten very interesting comments. I think I think one of the worst ones was probably well, I wouldn't even say, you know, when it comes to Instagram comments, they're all comments, you know. So I think right. one of the ones yeah. that I got um, was this sounds sped up, <laughs> which really? made me laugh because who f- I who is this I fool? Worked, <laughs> I, <laughs> Who's I this fool who so just creates hard. that? What? I'd worked so hard to get into that speed. It took me like a few weeks and I finally put it up there and someone went, uh, this sounds sped up. It sounds like you edited it. <laughs> and I guarantee you that when I record myself, I am so tech technology, like inept. Like I truthfully am still struggling with like iMovie and GarageBand. I don't know how to edit things very well. <laughs> it does what take I some do- time. Yeah, it takes some time. And, you know, now that, you know, I have a lot more time, I will probably be dabbling into that more. But I guarantee you that the only editing I've ever done is to just kind of crop the video to make sure it's less than a minute. Um, But I don't do any any auto-tuning or speeding up. That's just not how I roll. I want everything to be 100% original and real, you know, like I posted a video yesterday and I have to tell you, I was really scared about posting it. Um, really, really terrified. I just felt like it was not quite up to the standard that I wanted it to be. But I knew that I was doing I'm doing this um, this thing right now where I'm learning Havanis by Sant Songs with everybody on Instagram. So I'm sharing like chunks of the piece as it goes. And yesterday was the very scary second page where it's just straight 16th notes up and down super fast. Um, and I, it took me, I kid you not, it probably took me 20 to 30 times to really just like record it. I have all these videos I need to delete on my phone now. Um, <laughs> right. But, you know, it, it's, you know, what I post is I just want it to be real. I want it to be genuine and I want it to be realistic because no, I'm not perfect. You know, and like you said, I posted bloopers. I like posting bloopers because I always get these things of like, well, how can I be like perfect like that? Or how, like, how is it like that you, everything you post is like so good. It's not, trust me. I, (laughs) there are so many days that I've recorded things and they just never posted anything because I really didn't feel like it was my best, you know? And it's hard because some days, you know, I really got to make that post. It's been a few days. Um, and I'll be honest and I'll just say like, Hey, you know, this sounded a little bit like scrambled eggs, but the next time I post it, it'll be, it'll be better. I promise, you know, but yeah, no, Instagram is a crazy place. And, um, it's also a really, really great place to just market yourself. That's what I've noticed recently. <laughs> marketing on, yes. on Instagram is amazing. <laughs> yeah. And we're actually going to take a quick break, quick commercial break. Sure. So stick around and we're going to talk about branding and uh, other, other things uh, that I have on my mind. So stay tuned, stick around. Hey, so thanks for listening to the first uh, episode of the Violent Podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, so if, if you're not familiar with what I'm doing with the Violent Podcast, um, it's a blog. It's where I post um, sheet music deals, rosin deals, string deals. And, um, you know, I do amazing interviews just like the one you're listening to today, as well as, uh, blogs, interviews, tips, um, advice in this day and age. I think we could all use a little bit of advice. And, uh, I just want to let you know that I've created a free ebook for everyone during these crazy times of the COVID-19. It is a free ebook that you can get on Amazon called getting started on the violin. It's a 14 page ebook that, for someone who is 
you know, sitting at home and wants to start a new hobby, they know how to get started on the violin. And it goes, it goes from telling you what to look for in a music shop and what to look for in a teacher because a good teacher will get you a good instrument and a good deal for everything else. So those are really important facts. And uh, go to violinpodcast.com and click ebook or getting started on the violin. Or you can go to Amazon. And if you have Amazon Kindle Unlimited, then it's free. And uh, th- you know that's my gift for you guys. Okay, back to the interview. And we're back. We're back. So, um, you know, going off of the Instagram topic, uh, branding is uh, very important in the day of the, you know, in the year of 2020. So talk about branding and how you branded yourself um, on Instagram and on social media and other platforms. Sure. Um, I'll just start by saying that, you know, growing up, you know, the route for branding had always seemed to be win first place in this competition and everything will come to you afterwards, you know, or do this competition or do this kind of um, audition thing. And I have to say that of while that that way does work, um, it's almost impossible to actually win those things. You know, it's not like you go into an audition or a competition and just expect to win it. <laughs> um, so, you know, in this day and age, with this, just the rise of social media and how quickly things are shared to the world, to, pe- to people you would never know, it's very, very helpful to get started there. You know, like, like this podcast, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that everybody is listening online now, you know, it's uh, YouTube and, and all these amazing platforms like Spotify, um, Prime Phonic. Um, these are the places now to get quick access to discovering new artists every day. Um, and, you know, like I had been following Ray Chen for a while, um, you know, the winner of, of Menu and Competition many years ago, who's, and he's now um, performing all over the place. He has a very large social media following and it helped him, you know, it helped him get farther. Um, and, you know, like two set violin, you know, the, the, these people, they using social media, they have become huge online sensations and presences and people look up to these people. And so, you know, with the rise of Instagram, it's if you have something very special to share with the world, this is the perfect way to get yourself out there. Couldn't have said it better myself, really. Now, there's a topic that I do want to talk about, and that is uh, within within recent years, you've experienced a violent injury. And I th- as I'm, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's a, it was a shoulder injury, right? Um, yes. <laughs> More or less. Okay, yeah. And, um, yes. and uh, I know many of us has had uh, an injury in the past i know for me it was more um it was a nerve thing you know back in high school and not really sure how to diagnose it because i didn't have people around me who knew how to diagnose something like that you know like when you put your finger down on the string then you know then you have this like this sharp pain that travels up your arm into your um you know into your spine it was not a pleasant feeling but I do want to have you talk about your injury and um, what the injury was and how you kind of went through the process of recovering from that injury as a violinist. Yeah. 
Um, this is something that I am really, really passionate about. I do have uh, many posts on my Instagram about my injury and, you know, like on days that I'm not feeling well, I will say that on my posts. Um, but anyways, about, I think this was in 2017 or maybe it was, hmm, I think it was, it was in 2017, um, in the Aspen music festival, uh, it was my second year going there. I was sitting in a pretty hot seat. Um, I had to be prepared for every rehearsal. And I remember I was playing Bizet's Symphony Number no. 1. <laughs> uh, if you've ever listened or heard that piece, you would know that it's it's got a lot of notes in it. And it's not even necessarily like an endurance-heavy uh, piece. It's just that, you know, your right hand will be moving a lot. It's a lot of 16th notes, a lot of 8th notes, um, constant movement, no breaks. And I remember in the concert, around the intermission, I started to feel something funny in the tip of my right thumb. For those of you who wouldn't know why that's significant, that's the bow hand, um, your thumb. Um, and if your thumb's kind of bothering you, you can't really hold your bow. <laughs> and we were just about to go on stage to play the bizet. But of course I thought, okay, um, hmm, did I eat enough? Did I drink water? Like what's going on? So I just thought, okay, you know what? Let's just get on stage and let's just try and get through it. We're about a page and a half into the first movement of the bizet, and I'm I have no control of my thumb. I can't even feel it. It's it's so tingly and so numb. I'm having trouble holding my bow at all. I start kind of gripping the other four <laughs> fingers around the stick to kind of <laughs> play. I mean, if wow, you no are kidding. violent, you can imagine how ridiculous that might have looked. I had no control. I'm sure that Nick McGeegan, who was conducting, looked at me like I was a crazy woman. Um, and I was sitting next to assistant concertmaster Bing Wong of the L.A. Phil. And she's looking at me funny. I'm having trouble turning pages. I'm just a complete disaster. And so after the concert, we're at the point of like, I couldn't feel my arm to my elbow. No, none of my fingers, not even like my hand, not my wrist. I just can't feel it. It's all tingly and it's kind of painful. And so we're kind of like examining it. Bing's like, I don't know what's going on. That sounds really serious. You probably should see someone. And so I went to the physical therapist in Aspen and God bless their soul. They fit me in very, very quickly. And they had diagnosed it at the time as nerve damage. And how they described it to me was, well, it kind of sounds like, you know, it's coming from your neck, which at the time was true. It was coming from my neck and it was shooting down my arm, but it was a mix of tendonitis and carpal tunnel. <laughs> oh, no kidding. Um, which is, uh, you you probably wouldn't want that combination in one hand ever in your life. And, to be, and you know, to be honest, I've actually have never heard of a case where both exist at the same time. Right. It's so, either, you know, you have nerve damage with tendonitis or you have carpal tunnel with some nerve damage, but you don't have nerve damage, carpal tunnel and tendonitis, right. all three at the same time. That's unbelievable. They they did admit to me that they weren't really sure what was going on, that it was the weirdest case they'd ever seen. But I had symptoms of both tendonitis and carpal tunnel. So they kind of just diagnosed it as both with some injuries in my neck. And they t and this was the first time this ever happened to me in my life. They told me, you cannot play the violin 
for several weeks. There's no way. If you pick up the violin, you're going to make this so much worse. You're going to be months out. And of course, when you're at the Aspen Music Festival, which is only like eight weeks, and I say only, which is actually, it's actually a very long time. (laughs) Only eight weeks. I mean, come on. It's only eight weeks, but you know. But they were saying like, yeah, it's going to be around six to seven weeks. And I was on week two. So that's pretty much knocking out the entire festival, not being able to take lessons, not being able to sit next to the greatest concert masters in the country, not being able to play with some of the greatest soloists of the world and under fantastic conductors. I was completely crushed. You know, it was like the first time my body had just completely failed me. You know, that's how I saw it at the time. I was so mentally distraught. I remember just going home that day with KT tape up and down my right side of my arm and just feeling like I had failed, you know, that I had failed my body, my body had failed me. It was just this very complex state of uh, mind. And I seriously could not play for a few weeks, but I did everything they told me. I was so distraught, but I was so determined to get back on the train. I just, I had to finish this, the festival. I couldn't be out for more than two weeks. In my mind, being out more than two weeks was just like the equivalent of being on vacation and not doing anything productive. So I did literally every step possible. I went out and bought my own KT tape. I learned all the videos on how to apply KT tape around your thumb, around your wrist, around every single part of your hand and your elbow and your neck and every, I learned it all seriously. And I made my roommate sit with me and watch those videos so she could apply it to my back and my neck. And I, God bless her soul as well <laughs> that she dealt with me during that time. But yeah, I basically, I cut out everything that involved sugar. I didn't drink any alcohol. I didn't eat a lot of things. I, I just tried to be as healthy as I could. I ate like a rabbit. For the next three weeks, I drank like a liter and a half of water a day, which is way more than I'm used to. And it was very, very slowly, but very surely getting better. So every day I woke up and kind of regained some strength and regained some feeling in my hand. I seriously, like once my hand was out, I couldn't feel it. It was just tingly for like ever. I couldn't sleep for, for a week. And uh, so I was starting to regain some strength in my hand and my arm. And then by week, two and a half, I started playing the violin again. The PT gave me the okay to play for 15 minutes, only, only 15 minutes. And um, so for the next week, I only played 15 minutes. I added five minutes on the days I felt better. And after three weeks, I was given the okay to go back to orchestra. And I continued and made it to the end of that festival And, but because of that, because of that first injury, it actually opened the door to all the other problems that I currently deal with. So, you know, what I have is what uh, my loving physical therapist calls chronic injuries. Um, And, you know, when you have things like that, it means that for the rest of my life, I will be dealing with pain in many areas. We've now officially diagnosed it as originating in my neck. Mm. All of these injuries began in my neck. Um, It was a mix of nerves in the beginning, but now it's all muscular, which is really great because nerves are really, really hard to fix. Those are the ones that need the time. And if I may interject really quickly, almost, and once they're broken, they're almost impossible to fix. 
from what I've yes. from what I've uh, learned from my colleagues who have experienced that kind of pain that it actually kind of originates in the neck and then travels down the entire the entire body. Yeah, the spine, the arms, the shoulders, everything. And uh yeah, once you damage a nerve, it, it's like you said, impossible to fix. But now we're focusing more on the muscular end. I have some pretty tight neck and shoulder muscles. And if I do experience some tingling, it's not very much anymore, uh, mostly because I know all the strategies and the exercises to take care of that kind of situation. Basically, if you ever feel tingling, you should stop immediately. And the quicker you stop, the faster it'll heal. Right. Um, and then if you take all the necessary precautions like stretching and everything every day, it'll ha- it'll be less likely to happen. But right now I'm currently seeing uh, my physical therapist through school. Her name is Janice Ying. Uh, she is the physical therapist at Opus Therapy. You can also follow her on my Instagram. I post about her all the time. So uh, if you ever need a physical therapist to ask questions to, uh, feel free to check out my account and find her there. But we have recently discovered through video, she actually recorded me playing that my shoulder blades are three inches apart from where they're supposed to be. <laughs> wow. So wow, I didn't know that. They are, yeah, they are three inches away. So your shoulder blades are supposed to rest around an inch away from your spine. Um, and mine happened to be three inches farther from that, <laughs> um, which is which it is a little unusual. Um, you know, playing the violin is not natural. Actually, playing an instrument is not natural. Your body does not know how to handle that kind of positioning for that long. So it is actually completely normal to feel pain. It's completely normal to have these problems, to be injured um, and to feel pain often. As your career goes on, it will, you know, if you don't take care of it, it will just progressively get worse. You know, it's something that needs to be addressed. It's something that needs to be part of your routine every day. And something that I've really, really been telling myself the past few years since this has all happened is that being a musician is being an athlete, you know, and, and not enough of us admit that or, or want to admit that. Cause you know, we, we think that we're very different from athletes and we are, but playing an instrument is very physical you know, and it requires endurance and it requires an immense amount of strength. And, you know, if you don't take care of yourself, you know, you kind of just let the pain go. You think, oh, this is normal. It's fine. By the way, any pain is not normal. You know, you should not be feeling pain. And if you are, it's okay. That's just, it's just part of uh, what we do as musicians, but it needs to be addressed um, and it needs to be taken care of. Otherwise you will not last. Right. I think, um, I think that a lot of a lot of the time that it's just a matter of knowing how to release the tension because you're always I know a professor of mine back in the day said you're, there's always going to be tension while you play the violin there's always going to be there is right. it a matter of knowing how to release it that is going to really really help you you know create longevity yes. at violinist whatever instrumentalist for your career right for you to be able to continue doing what you're doing and uh, all all the things that you said are spot on. Yeah. I mean, I, ha- I again, you know, for me, a, a lot of this is just, you know, taking care of your mental health as well. You know, when I first had this injury, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm obsolete. If I can't play again, what am I going to be? You know, what am I going to do? Like, this is my whole life. I spent my whole like childhood working on this right. and getting to this point, you know, you don't want to get to the point where you're like, 
I can't play anymore because I didn't take care of myself. You know, again, I can't stress enough. We are athletes. We need to take care of our bodies. The body is what creates the music. And so if you don't take care of the one thing that creates the music, you're going to lose it. And I've, I've seriously been so grateful to my physical therapist and my school for really being on top of that. My, my dean of my school often will check in on me and she'll ask me, how are you feeling? How are you doing? You know, do you need any help? Do you need to see the massage therapist again? Like, what do you need from us when you want to help? Um, you know, injuries and music don't often go together and they're not talked about as much. For some reason, it's always been a taboo. I don't know. I don't know. In your experience, um, have you felt like it's just not been a conversation to have? I mean, you know, um, I am extremely grateful for my professor when I was at um, the Boston Conservatory. I mean, now it's the Boston Conservatory at Berkeley, but I was there when it was just the Boston right. Conservatory. And um, one of my professors who has was my professor for four years, but then I also took lessons with him um, afterwards. Uh you know, he actually is um, really intelligent in the way he explained injuries. You know, just like just like as I said before, that's actually not what you know what I think. That's actually what he thinks in terms of the release of tension. That's actually something that I got from him. And it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, he actually lower uh, had a lower back injury, and he, you know, just like you, almost had a career-ending injury. But you know, he talked to the right people, made very smart decisions on how to approach certain things. Um, and, and it was just a matter of, you know, knowing how to sit in an orchestra, you know, making sure that, you know, your feet, you know, like something that uh, your grade school music teacher would say, feet flat on the ground, straight back, strong core, all those, all those stuff, right. you know, that it, they tell you that for a reason, right? They tell you that for a reason, because that's kind of yeah. like your, mm-hmm. that's kind of like your alignment as if you're like a tripod. And I explained that I explained to my students, um, a lot more of that these days because you know because of the the COVID-19 outbreak I'm I'm doing a lot more virtual lessons so you know that's something that I do explain to my students like if you're going to be sitting down make sure you're doing these basics because the moment you screw it up then it's it's game over and it's really hard to kind of break the habit and then start from scratch and then rebuild it as to the way you want it so right. for uh for me i've been really blessed but yeah for me i've been really blessed because um as i mentioned earlier you know i i experienced a little bit of tingling in my left hand like to the point where when i pressed down on the string i i, I couldn't i couldn't i couldn't make a sound because it hurt so much so um right. you know i i i can resonate with what you're saying in terms of your injury was did you ever think that it was uh like a career ending injury once you started finding all of these things out or who did you talk to to kind of encourage you to keep moving forward with the rehabilitation process? Um, you know, I, of course, when I first had the, the first injury on that stage in Aspen, I definitely went down the route of, oh my God, my career is ending. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's normal for when you have your first injury. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the body's amazing. It heals itself. If you do the right precautions, you take the right steps after, like you said, you're with your teacher, um, you'll get right back on track. Um, it just, you just, it's your body telling you that you need a break or that you've overworked it or that you're working too much. And your body is saying, okay, I'm done. You know, let's take, let's take a couple weeks off, you know, <laughs> which is completely healthy. Yeah. It's so healthy to take that break. I think we're oftentimes when we're in music college, music school, you know, we're practice, practice, practice 
right? But you, but right. you mentioned mental health and, you know, you don't let your body rest. You, mentioned, you let your mind rest. I think that's crucial. Yes. So crucial. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and music is stressful, you know, and I'm, there's no other way to beat around the bush, you know, like you're going to be stressed out. You know, it's a very, very pressure filled space, you know, and sometimes that encourages you the wrong way. It makes you say, I need to practice all these hours. Um, and actually, I don't advocate for more than four hours. I seriously don't believe that, you know, after the four hour mark, you're making any progress. You know, I really believe in like planning your practice and efficient practice because you can get everything done within a couple hours, truly. Like, you can. Unless you have like, you know, a competition, like Queen Elizabeth, like, like load of work to do, then I'd say, okay, well, you probably need about four hours, but you can really get everything done and spaced out correctly. Your body should not be going through anything strenuous when it comes to violin playing structures, everything, you know, the way that you, you know, stand the way that you sit, like you said, and is so important, you know, if you can take all those steps and apply them correctly and do it right you're gonna last much longer in your career so well Galia this has been eye-opening all of this all the all the tips the advice in terms of the injuries in terms of how to practice you know think especially in the time that we're in right now I think um, this uh, could be really useful for some people so I just want to thank you for you know all that you shared um, so far with us and just one last thing before we get to uh, a little fun game that I have invented <laughs> that um, <laughs> that don't worry no 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 pressure so um, the, the last thing the last <laughs> big question that I want to ask you for someone who um, for someone who's struggling with violin you know or mm-hmm. you know they're not they're lacking the motivation and they're like you know is music right for me or is it something that I should consider um what 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 kind of advice would you would you give like an everyday violinist right um you know (laughs) music is not an easy field um you know I like to consider it on par with med school and I'm sure anybody who's taken med school will be pretty mad about hearing me say that (laughs) especially but, especially you know, the ones who do med school and uh right. and violin but what we will maybe maybe that's another podcast episode for another time maybe we can schedule something <laughs> in the future and maybe um yeah, absolutely. yeah you know i think that music comes from the heart and it comes from the soul as cheesy as that sounds it is something that comes from within you that touches people you know and if music is something that changed your life or currently changes your life playing makes you incredibly happy it gives you this sense of control and and self-expression I think that music is completely worth it and you know I've you know I've been saying this a lot recently uh you know I was just on another interview and I was just saying this but violin playing and being a musician requires constant everyday work. You know, it's something that needs to be done every day, whether that's 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, four hours. You know, it's something that 
you can kind of lose kind of quickly, you know, if you don't play for a couple days, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever, you've probably experienced this where, you know, you've taken a break for a couple of days and you come back and it's like, you don't even know how to play the violin anymore. <laughs> oh, golly. I feel that every day. <laughs> i'm like i i am well, you know i hold i hold this wooden box and i go what the heck is this thing right <laughs> you know right, right, right. <laughs> well you know like i said if you are so passionate about music you love sharing it with the world you love doing it yourself you know if it's not quite the career for you there's no shame in making that your hobby or you know heck starting an instagram and making that you know your joy and passion go another round but if you decide to you know do music stick with it you know try and try and just push through because there are many days that all of us professionals just want to quit you know that's that's a normal feeling it's that's how hard music can get it can totally drain every living ounce of you it's just how it goes but in the end there's always something for me specifically and probably in many of my colleagues that is so rewarding for them you know and just you know hearing your like seeing your comments on instagram saying that i made your day makes my existence like worth it you know so find the one thing that you love about music the most the, the one thing that makes you so passionate um and the and of course the moment that you feel like it was all worth it. That is what's going to help you make those next few steps um, if you're thinking about uh, continuing with music or not. Um, it's all about yourself. You know, you need to put yourself first. It's not about, you know, how you're making others feel necessarily, but, you know, especially if it's like just to please your parents, you know, like go the route that you need to go. You know, that's really important. Um, so just, you know, keep some of those Mind. yeah just do what makes you happy right just do what makes you happy i think that's all that matters okay all right now the moment everybody has been waiting for violent podcast <laughs> trivia okay this is gonna be oh gosh. this is gonna be really fun no pressure no pressure this is gonna be a lot of fun okay so galia so this <laughs> so uh so i have five questions here you're gonna have 25 seconds on the clock and all you need to do is get Three out of five questions right, and this is all this is all music violin related. Okay, just to, this is a violin okay. podcast. These are violin <laughs> questions we're talking about here. And, oh, and I just have to say, before we do this, I am not a trivia person, and I feel like I'm going to embarrass myself. But here we go. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right, so I'm gonna. I have my handy dandy watch for all everybody watching on video. So I'm gonna start. Just give me a second. All right. So three, two, one. Okay. Question one. What is Chrysler's first name? Fritz. How many violin sonatas did Beethoven compose? Ten. What year was Antonio Stradivari born? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Sixteen forty. Four? <laughs> How many concertos did Viotone write? Uh, five, I think. On the <laughs> to the afternoon of a... Fawn. Okay, all right. Let's review oh, the answers for your eligibility oh, 
to win a prize for me. Okay, here we go. Whew. All right, deep oh. breath. Take a deep breath in. All right. All right. All right. Okay. <laughs> Question one. What is Chrysler's first name? Fritz, you said. Is that correct? Absolutely, it is. It is correct. Number one. All right. So number two, how many violent sonatas does Beethoven compose? You said 10. Is that correct? Yes, it is. All right. Okay. Number three. This was a total guess, was it not? It was a total guess. I I have an idea, but I honestly, that was a total guess. Yeah. Total guess. All right. So what year was Antonio Stradivari born? You said 1644. And it was, in fact, 1644. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go get myself a brownie go- because, wow. <laughs> Wait, is that, is that is true, right? 1644? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I'm going to look that up. Yeah, let's look that up right now. Unless, you know, I'm a... Okay, yeah, because, whoa. <laughs> I have an idea. Like I, I kind of had an idea when you know when he made stuff, but <laughs> that was a total guess. Yeah, totally. Sixteen forty-four. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I kind of question. I'm like sixteen forty-four. Is that is that true? No, that is that is true. Okay, so you wow. have three out of the five questions correct already. So you get a prize from me, and you know what that prize is? What's the prize? You get a violin podcast mug from me as as a, as a good gesture from me because you because Aww. all right and uh, so let's let's finish it off. So how many concertos did Viotone write? You said five. As a matter of fact, it is seven. He wrote. He wrote seven concertos. Oh my goodness! Oh, I only know four and five, so I just assumed it was five. <laughs> he wrote seven. I, I actually was like. You know, wow. I'm, not, I'm not too familiar with Viotom's concertos. I like I've heard a couple, but I'm like I didn't re- realize he wrote seven. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then lastly, fill in the blank. Prelude to the afternoon of a fawn, and that was also correct. So you got four out of five right. correct. That means you get the mug from me. So congratulations, yeah. Galia. Thank <laughs> you so much for being on the podcast. I think this was a blast. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. This was so much fun. And uh, for everyone who. Uh, listening in for the first time thank you for listening in to the first episode of the violin podcast interviews portion of the blog uh please visit violinpodcast.com for sheet music deals um, music access- accessory deals interviews and blog articles and uh this is galia costner thank you thank you so much for having me